Well, I always check the time on my phone before I get up to preach, if you want to know what I do. Because sometimes, like a couple weeks ago, the screen in the back shorted out, and I want to make sure I know what time I'm up there. And uh, I just saw a text from Bethany. They're home this morning because Jesse decided this is the week to potty train. And uh, she texted and said they're watching online, and Jesse just said she misses all of you, her church friends. So that was not how I was going to open the sermon this morning, but I figured we can start on a sweet note. And let me give you a piece of insight this morning that'll maybe save you, uh, save you a prank at some point in your life. Some of you will know this already, but some of you, this may be new news. When I was a student pastor at First Baptist Carrollton, we would do every summer these large, very extensive, destination-bound uh, youth choir trips. Now, I was not in charge of them, thank goodness. The music pastor was in charge of them, but I was on them. I was one of the chaperones. And was there, and, and the first full summer I was there, we went to Buffalo, New York. And for significant cost reasons, we drove on a bus from Carrollton, Texas, northwest of Dallas, to Buffalo, New York. It's 35 hours, in case you're wondering. And so over the course of night, you know, we had two buses and I'm, I packed all this stuff thinking, man, 35 hours, that's so long. I'll do some stuff with students here. I'll do, I, I didn't touch anything in my bag. I pretty much just did stuff with students the whole time. And it, but, it, but in one of those brief moments where everybody was kind of calm and relaxed and I was just sitting there to myself, some students came up and they said, hey, Wes, Wes, we know you love jelly beans. You got to try this jelly bean." Now, in case you don't know, there is a thing called bamboozled jelly beans, and they look like normal jelly beans, except their flavors like booger and earwax and nasty stuff. <laughs> Wes, you got to try this jelly bean. And I looked at him, I said, do you think I was born yesterday? <laughs> How dumb do you think I am? I, there's no chance in the world I'm trying that jelly bean. And I didn't, and I stood firm there, and they went back very disappointed that their prank fell through. Now, I tell you that, uh, not just to get some chuckles, but to say, here's the reality. When you and I live and move and breathe in a, in a broken and hostile world, you and I are confronted by situations that will seemingly come out of nowhere. You and I will be confronted by situations that we may have some idea of what to do or not to do, but here's, here's the reality. If we're going to walk faithfully with God in those situations, we have to have a certain kind of insight and understanding that knows when to swallow something that is good versus when we're being pranked with the earwax jelly bean of the world. So how do we walk with that kind of insight? Where does it come from? Well, I'm glad you asked, church family. Turn with me back to Daniel chapter 11. Daniel chapter 11, and as we go back to Daniel 11, we're actually going to backtrack on something uh, that over the last couple weeks, uh, we're not going to re-walk through everything we've walked through, but there is a, a key and critical point of application that we've just not been able to give time to. So before we finish out Daniel next week in chapter 12, we're going to come back for a moment into Daniel 11. And, and I want you to just, as we come to Daniel 11, remember, Daniel 11 is this long, it's kind of two-sided. You've got the first 35 verses, fulfilled prophecy. Our God is sovereign. His word comes to pass. You've got the last part of the, cha the chapter, which deals with prophecy that's yet to be fulfilled. And, 
In the middle, starting in verse 21, there's prophecy about uh, the ruler Antiochus Epiphanes, remember, who was ruthless in how he ruled over the people of Israel. Listen just to a couple things it says. Look with me, Daniel 11, verse 21. In his place, a despicable person will arise on whom the honor of kingship has not been conferred, but he will come in a time of tranquility and seize the kingdom by intrigue. Verse 22 talks about he will overwhelm everybody with his forces. He will come against the the prince of the covenant, that is the high priest. So here we're told right off the bat, Antiochus is a despicable person in character. He uses deception and political mastery to accomplish his aims of controlling. He does it in a time of tranquility when, when everybody seems to be resting and people aren't expecting the assault. He comes against the leader of God's people. Then you drop down into verse 24, in a time of tranquility, he will enter the richest parts of the realm. He'll accomplish what his fathers never did, nor his ancestors. He'll distribute plunder, booty, possessions among them. He'll devise his schemes against strongholds. Here's what it says. He's going to accomplish things that his forerunners were never able to. He's going to be savvy and take wealth and power, and rather than storing them up for himself, he's going to use them to buy acceptance. He's going to use it to trick people. Oh, man, we love Antiochus. He, he gave me, an, he gave me a $5,000 tax rebate last year. We love Antiochus. It says, then you drop further down in verse 28, he'll return to his land with much plunder, but his heart will be set against the holy covenant. Drop down further with me to, to verse 31, from him will arise, des, uh, desecrate the sanctuary fortress and do away with regular sacrifice and they will set up the abomination of desolation. By smooth words, he will turn to godlessness those who act wickedly toward the covenant. We know that here's, here's what he does. He's going to plunder the people, reward those who will follow him. He's going to stop proper worship. He'll mandate ungodly worship. He will not only stop proper worship, but he will outlaw it to worship God truly, to engage in circumcision, to own an Old Testament, to make sacrifices by God. All of a sudden, he makes them crimes punishable by death. And he knows how to use cunning and smooth words, it says, to, to woo the wicked, meaning he's going to find those, those members of Israel that would more readily value the comfort of daily life the intrigue of what this new philosophy and worldview of Hellenism with all its things that are attached to it, and they would readily give up proper worship of their God. He's going to use smooth and twisting words to get them to betray the Lord. And I'll remind you here before we look at these next few verses, the reason Antiochus is given such, such emphasis and weight here in Daniel is, one, he's unique among any world ruler up, to, uh, up through uh, the history of, of Israel in that uh, there is a very personal, very vindictive, and, and very harsh persecution against the people of God for being the people of God. Not only that, but in his actions, he serves as a forerunner, as an example to us of what the one who is greater than him will be, the Antichrist who is to come, which is where we turn now. Drop down with me. Look at verse 36. Remember, we looked at this last week. This is talking about uh, the Antichrist from 1 John chapter 3. This is talking about the man of lawlessness, 2 Thessalonians 2, the 
the dragon's beast, Satan's beast, Revelation chapter 13. This is talking about that end time ruler that will arise. Daniel's little horn from Daniel 7. It says, then this king will do as he pleases. He will exalt and magnify himself above every god. He will speak monstrous things against the God of gods and he will prosper until the indignation is finished. Here's what it says right off the bat, church family. It says that the Antichrist is going to act with seeming freedom. No one's going to stop him. No one's going to counsel him out. He's going to speak words of unparalleled blasphemy against the one true God and truly process that for a moment because we've all heard people make some pretty blasphemous statements against Jesus Christ. But he will exceed them all. He'll achieve, this just says he'll achieve overwhelming victories. It says he'll prosper in everything he does. Well, what will he do? Well, he'll rule the ten horns, the ten kingdoms that comprise the world of his day. He'll absolutely obliterate three of them. He will conquer, we saw that last week, conquer without end. He will achieve overwhelming victory. He will, he will end proper worship. He will actively oppress and persecute the people of God in a way never before seen in history. Not only will he do this, but it says, look with me, verse 38, instead he will honor a, a God of Verse 37, he will show no regard for the God of his fathers or the, for the, the one beloved desired of women that be the Messiah, nor will he show regard for any other God. For he will magnify himself above them all, but instead he will honor a God of fortresses, a God whom his fathers did not know. Here's what he's going to do. He's not going to walk by any prior path of religion. Instead, he's going to institute an entire entirely new path of religion that will center on him as God. It says in verse 39, he will attack and conquer the most powerful strongholds in the world. It says in verses 40 through, through the first half of 45 that he is going to go on a war path and usher in destruction unlike anything the world has ever seen. And in the midst of all of this, Not anything that happened under the reign of Antiochus, nor anything that will happen under the days of the Antichrist, not one thing that happens will happen because God is somehow insecure on His throne. In fact, everything will happen with God being completely and totally sovereign. It's all there throughout the text, God's sovereignty with Antiochus. Did we catch it? 24b. In the second half of verse 24, he'll do these things, but only for a time. It will not succeed, for the end is at the appointed time. Verse 29, at the appointed time, because it is still to come at the appointed time. Verse 35, God's sovereignty over the days of the Antichrist. It says that the Antichrist will prosper until indignation is finished, for that which is decreed will be done. It says at the end of verse 40, at the end of time. It says in verse 45 that he will come to his end and no one will help him. Here is the reality, church family. We've said it week in and week out in Daniel. No matter what is taking place in the world, our God is sovereign on his throne. He knows everything. He has all power. He knows what's going to happen. He knows what could happen. He knows what will happen. He has all power. He has all knowledge. He has all might. He is free to act in line with his own sheer goodness. And by the way, everything he does is good. Our God is sovereign. He's not just sovereign in the days of wicked rulers, but, but look with me now at, at the beginning of 12. He's sovereign in our deliverance. Now at that time, 
And then it says, and at that time, your people, everyone who is found written in the book will be rescued. There's more in chapter 12 that says, God is sovereign over the deliverance of his people. Why do we have hope? We saw this last week. Why do we have hope? What is the hope that drives our living with insight? It's the awareness, the understanding that if for those of us in Christ, there is a deliverance coming. And because he is sovereign, everything he says comes to pass just as he says, which means there's no chance of the deliverance he says is coming for us not happening. It's happening. It's guaranteed. He's not only sovereign over the deliverance of the righteous, but we've seen throughout the whole book of Daniel, he's sovereign in how he sustains the righteous. He's sovereign while Daniel faces hardship. He's faithful as Daniel prays for wisdom. We've, we see that he sees his people, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We've seen him aid his people. We've seen that his grace is enough. He comforts, he fills, he convicts, he guides church family. Our God is sovereign. And he is sovereign over our day just as much as he is over the days of Antiochus and the days of the Antichrist. He's sovereign over our day. He's still on his throne. He was not caught off guard by COVID or election results or wars or rumors of wars. He is still, he's not caught off guard by congressional hearings, by crooked politicians, by social media censoring, by AI. And he is not caught off guard by the challenges and the hardships and the sufferings and the pains and the disappointments and the questions and the confusions that you face in your life today. He is still on his throne as you deal with bosses and coworkers, classmates, friends, family members. Disappointed expectations, dashed dreams, financial hardships. God is still sovereign on his throne, church family. He is still in charge and he is still actively accomplishing his purposes in and through our lives and in this world. There is no question of is he or can he or will he. It is yes and amen in Christ Jesus. The question is simply, if we really recognize the signs of the times and the truth of who God is, how do we respond? Because here's where we find ourselves, church family. We're not living in the days of Antiochus Epiphanes IV, nor are we yet living in the days of the Antichrist. But according to Scripture, we are living in the days where the spirit of the Antichrist reigns, 1 John 3. We're not living in the days of the man of lawlessness yet, but Paul tells us in 2 Thessalonians that we are living in the days where the mystery of lawlessness is at work. We're told in Ephesians that there is the prince of the power of air who is leading the sons of disobedience throughout this world. We know that there is supernatural warfare taking place. And at the forefront of culture and, and in this world are forces of darkness, demonic powers that seek to bring destruction and devastation to humanity who's already enslaved and broken and enchained in the sin we're born into. It's going to be in the days we're living in where Paul describes in 2 Timothy 3 that, that people who once would put up with hearing sound truth and sound doctrine, they're going to throw away truth to find people who will tickle their ears, who will tell them what they want, 
who will make them feel good about they themselves and whatever it is they want, who will tell them exactly what they want to hear. It's, it's, it's going to be in these days that we're living in that Jesus' words of Matthew 24 where he tells the disciples, many will come in my name saying I am the Christ and will mislead many. You will be hearing of wars and rumors of wars. Don't be frightened. These things must take place. The end is not yet. Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. In various places there will be famines and earthquakes, but these are only the beginning of the birth pains. Then they will deliver you to tribulation. They will kill you. You will be hated by all nations because of my name. At that time, many will fall away and will betray one another and hate one another. Many false prophets will arise and mislead many. Because lawlessness is increased, most people's love will grow cold. Church family, these are the days that we find ourselves living in. And if we are going to live in days where there are active false prophets, or we get, if we are going to live in days where, where truth is twisted, and can be twisted fairly convincingly so. You can find anybody to tell you and convince you that what you want to hear is absolutely right. And not only can you find them, you can find books, podcasts, YouTube videos, and, and conferences to go to to affirm it for you. If we're going to live in these days, how do we live in these days in light of the fact that God is sovereign and He's on His throne and He's not surprised? How do we live in these days with an insight and an understanding that enables us to walk lockstep with Jesus Christ? Well, it's found right there in Daniel 11. I hope you still are there. Look back with me. Daniel 11, verse 32. But the people who know their God will display strength and take action. Those who have insight among the people will give understanding to the many. They will fall by the sword and by flame, by captivity and plunder. And then verse 35, some of those who have insight will fall in order to refine, purge, and make them pure until the end. And then drop back over to chapter 12, verse 3, those who have insight will shine brightly like the brightness of the expanse of heavens. And those who lead the many to righteousness like stars forever and ever. Church family, because God is sovereign, if we really understand this, we have to set ourselves to live with insight and understanding. And the text today tells us how do we do that? One, if we're going to live with insight and understanding, it's going to be because we know God truly and rightly. Did you catch what it said there in Daniel? But those who know their God... It is impossible to live with insight and understanding apart from a real, authentic, and true relationship with Jesus Christ, which means it's a relationship based on His standards and His conditions, not ours. We have to respond to His exclusive gift of salvation. It means we can't just know about Jesus. It says we know Jesus, those who know their God. It's personal. Listen, church family, I want to be clear. There is one way and one way alone to have a personal relationship with God Almighty. It is the, through the person and work of Jesus Christ. By person, we mean Jesus Christ is 100% fully God and always has been God. And at a specific point in the fullness of time, He took on humanity and He is 100% fully man. And, and, in, and in that humanity, He lived the life that we have failed to live. He died the death 
that we rightly deserve. And in that death, he offered a sacrifice that would satisfy the justice of God's wrath against sin. He rose from the grave, fully God, fully man, with a glorified body that cannot be touched by the ravages of sin and death. And he offers salvation to anyone who would respond to him, repenting of the fact they're a sinner and trusting that because Jesus is who he is and he's done what he's done that we can never do, that we can be saved and restored and brought into a relationship with God Almighty as Lord and Savior. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You are saved by grace through faith. Yet all the time, church family, when I, when I ask the question, tell me your testimony. How, how did you get saved? Oh, well, I've always known God. Not according to Scripture. According to Scripture, we were born by nature rebellion against God. Well, why should God let you into heaven if you die tonight? Well, my parents, God, my parents were such a great godly. Your parents' faith doesn't count for you. Oh, well, God, I, God I, I went to church. I have almost a flawless church record. I read my Bible often. I prayed often. I taught Sunday school. Jesus said many on that day will say, Lord, Lord, we did all this in your name, and I will say to them, depart from me. I don't know you. Church family, I want to be clear because there have been so many misleadings in our culture for far too long. Works, family of origin, birth by being human, none of those bring you into a right relationship with Jesus Christ. Only repentance and faith in the person and work of Jesus Christ at the conviction of our being a sinner by the Holy Spirit will save us and bring us into a relationship with Him. And when that happens, the Holy Spirit doesn't, doesn't just all of a sudden convict us and go, but when we come to faith in Christ, He, he comes inside. God Almighty, the third person of the Trinity, to live in us and he seals us. This is the, the guarantee that, that we are saved in, which is why we can have insight. See, if you don't know God truly, you can't have the insight of God because you are enslaved to the ways of the world, to your trespasses and sin. But if we know God truly, then all of a sudden we have the ability to, to live and move and breathe with insight. And that and knowing God truly doesn't just mean only in salvation. For those of us who've been saved, it means we need to really understand what it means that we've been saved. To know God truly means we submit to his loving discipline. Did you see that in the text, that those who have insight in order to refine, purge, and make them pure, that's gonna be repeated again in chapter 12, church family. God did not save us for our happiness. He didn't save us to make us feel good about ourselves. He saved us to make us good, like Christ. He saved us to conform us into the image of Christ, and, and He's honest all throughout Scripture how He does it. In His love, He disciplines us. He sanctifies us. He grows us in greater Christ-likeness. It means he's gonna bring us, he's gonna bring conviction to places where we're living in sin. It means there's gonna be time. He, he humbles us and things don't go according to our plan because we have to learn to depend not upon our own ways or strength but on him alone. This is all part of his discipline. Hebrews chapter 12, that's spurred not by his desire to, to pick on us but by his love. 
because he desires his children to have what is good and best. But if we don't understand that, it's going to be tough to live with insight in a world where God will take sometimes even the wickedness of this world and use it to refine us, which is closely related to not just submitting to his sufferings but embrace, or submitting to his, his, his discipline, but to embrace the fellowship of his sufferings. Jesus is very honest with us. If you follow me, the world will hate you. Yet for some reason, many of us live life going, God, I'm following you. Why does nobody like me? Now listen, you can follow Jesus and be disliked because you're just a rude, stuffy, mean person, and that's not really a reflection of Jesus. Don't be disliked because you're rude and stuffy. But if we walk like Jesus, filled with mercy, compassion, standing up for truth and justice, says the, we live in a world that's hostile to that. We will suffer, we will experience hardship as a result of being followers of Jesus Christ. And it says according to Scripture, this is a gift of grace. It's a sign that we're actually walking well with Him. But too often, we try to flee from those sufferings instead of embracing the fellowship of His sufferings. Paul said, I count everything lost. Philippians, I got everything is lost. I want to know him. And when he defines what knowing him is, one of the three things he says that is part of knowing Jesus is to know the fellowship of his sufferings in this world. And you go, well, pastor, you're telling me that if I, you're telling me I got to admit that I'm wrong, come to faith in Christ. When I come to faith in Christ, it's not going to all be, it's not going to all be health, wealth, and prosperity, that he's going to actively discipline my life and, and shape me and mold me. And sometimes that's going to be hard. And then you're telling me even beyond that, the world's not going to like me. There's going to be suffering. That's what you're telling me. Scripture says, pastor, yes. Well, why, why pastor? Why, why would we, why would, why would I sign up for that? Well, you wouldn't unless it is 100% true and he is worthy. It's the absurdity of saying the disciples made up the resurrection of Jesus. You don't go to the painful graves every one of those men went to for a lie and a prank. You only do it if Jesus is in fact God, if, if we in fact are sinners and He is our only hope, in which case, if that's all true, it changes everything. means we live. We looked at this last week, anticipating the glory of His promised end. Here's the reality, church family. We suffer now for a short time as He prepares us for our eternity, wherein in the new heaven and new earth we will have resurrected bodies. We saw that last week in chapter 12. They will never, you, won't, you will never have allergies in new heaven or new earth. You're never going to have to go to a chiropractic adjustment. You're going to get down and you're going to be like, it's year 997,000 in new heaven and new earth, and, and my body still feels just as good as day one. Yes. There will be no more sin. There will be no more death. We will never get together in new heaven and new earth for a funeral because there will be no more death. There will be no more tears of sorrow. Jesus will take his nail-scarred nail hands and wipe those tears from our eyes. There will be complete and total healing and, and fullness of joy because this is what he's promised. This is what is coming. And according to Peter in 2 Peter, if we really understand it, it drives the holiness of our life now. 
Now here's the key. So when we say that insight and understanding is going to come from knowing God truly, which involves actually being saved for real on His terms, but it also means for those of us who've been saved that we're walking rightly with Him in light of who He is. Now here's the key. How are we going to do that? If we're going to have insight and understanding that comes from knowing Him truly, it means we're going to have to walk with Him based on His revealed Word and not our feelings or culture's opinions. Everything I've told you is true, but how did I tell it to you, church family? From His Word. I didn't make it up. I didn't sit down this week and go, hmm, what are some good things I can tell everybody about knowing God truly? This kind of sounds cool. This kind of sounds good. No, it came from the Word. We've got to walk with Him according to the Word, the key, the key to walking with Him rightly. For those of us who are saved is we've got to hold fast to His Word. We've got to believe He is who He says He is, whether we feel He is that or not. We've got to believe He is who He says He is, whether culture tells us that's who He is or not. We have to deal with who He is based on His revealed and written Word. We believe what the Word says about Him. Insight, understanding, conviction, they come from the Holy Spirit of God who lives within us, who takes the Word of God that sits in front of us, the word he wrote, the word he authored, and he brings insight and understanding and the ability to see and discern through all of the darkness and the swirling chaos of half-truths and lies that is the day we live in today. And can I just give a real simple, if you do not actively spend time intaking and meditating on the Word of God, you will struggle as a Christian to have the insight you need to live in this world. What happened in my life at 13 when for whatever reason I began to get in the Word of God on a daily basis, the Holy Spirit of God began to do what He promises to do and He took that Word and I could give story after story of things in my life where when I look back I go, wow, look at how God protected, look at how there was insight to cut through what all of my friends fell for. It came because of the Holy Spirit and His Word. And if you're in Christ, you've got the Holy Spirit. And if you don't have a Bible for some reason today, take the one in the pew back in front of you. It's what it's there for. We will not walk with insight and understanding if we don't know Him truly and walk with Him rightly. And our ability to walk with Him rightly, if we actually are saved, is going to come down to how well we really take Him at His word and rest upon it in faith. Not wishful thinking, but certainty. Now, when we do that, here's what's going to happen. Insight and understanding are going to produce some things. Look back with me. It says, but the people who know their God will display strength and take action. When you and I live in insight and understanding that comes from knowing God, that insight and understanding, it's going to do two things. It's going to give us conviction and strength to stand for His glory. When we really understand that we're not living in chaotic times, that, that God has made me for such a time as this, that He has planted me where I am at. And by the way, if you go, I'm not really sure that where I'm at in life is because it's where God wants me, then you know the great news. God who is sovereign, you know, I'm not really sure that I'm where God wants me. You know the great thing? God's sovereign, so you know what you should do? Just humble yourself and go get before Him and say, God, am I where you want me? And if I'm not, please open my eyes to what things need to be confessed and what things need to change and take me where you want me. 
That's the great news about knowing a sovereign God is he can cut through all that. But church family, we are made for such a time as this. Listen, when you look back, think back to Daniel 3, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. There was a strength to stand in the face of a blazing fiery furnace that came from the fact that they knew who their God is. We know our God is sovereign. We know he sees us right now. We know what proper worship is. We know that he gives us strength to stand. We know he's able to deliver us. And whether he delivers us or not from the fiery furnace, he is worthy of giving our lives up. It's because of what they knew in knowing God truly and taking him at his word, walking with him rightly, it gave them a strength to stand. Church family, many of us, the reason we struggle to stand with strength is because we're not walking with insight and understanding. Instead, our minds are swirling with with the half-truths and lies of culture and what's running around, or or maybe they're, they're swirling with the worries and the fears of, man, this is not the day I grew up in. Or what is, how could, today's already bad enough, tomorrow could be worse, yes. But do you notice Daniel ripped from his family, taken thousands of miles away, no cell phone service, no internet, not even snail mail. Do you notice Daniel? What you don't see in the book is him going. These times are horrible. What's going? You just see him go, okay, my God is sovereign. My times are in his hands, and I'm going to step up to the plate. Church family, there is a strength. God is sovereign over the days of our lives. And I can tell you, I think part of the, the passion in my life and having gone through just in my own life, working through Daniel week in, week out, preparing to preach is really having to wrestle with. Listen, living in this world, we're gonna have real fears, real concerns. It's normal, we're human. But how do I come back and rest on the truth of my God who is sovereign? Okay, God, everything could blow up and go completely horrible, but I'm trusting that I'm where you want me. And if I'm not where you want me, I'm trusting that you love me enough to get in my face and correct me. Especially because right now I'm humbling myself on my knees and I'm actually asking, so I'm trying to pay attention. Our God loves us enough to get in our face. Our God loves us enough to allow me to come to the end of myself. He loves us enough to intervene or if we're about to drive off the cliff, the simple question is, are we humble? So here's the reality. As we live with insight and understanding, it produces a strength to go, okay, Lord, these are not the days I would have picked, but for such a time as this, you have put me here and I'm gonna stand here because you are with me and I'm gonna get up this morning and actually rest in the fact that this is the day you have made, Lord. So I will rejoice and be glad in it. This is the day where your eyes are running to and fro, looking to greatly aid the heart that is truly, truly yours. And I I know you truly, I've been saved, Lord, so I'm gonna keep asking, I'm gonna keep knocking, I'm gonna keep seeking because you are who you are. And there is a strength in understanding that that allows me to stand for your glory. It doesn't just allow me to stand, but it's not just standing, but it allows me to act to act inside an understanding church family produces courage to act for his glory. Listen, God is sovereign. He knows everything that's going to happen. And we might go, if he knows everything that's going to, if he knows everything that's going to happen, well, if he knows all, then, then, he's, then he must be okay with it all. No, God wasn't okay with Antiochus and God wants, not so, will not be okay with the Antichrist. It's why both of them lose. 
Just because it happens doesn't mean God's okay with it. Which is why we can't take the attitude, well, all right, God, you're in control. It doesn't matter what I do. No, he is sovereign, church family, and if we live with insight and understanding, it means we take action. It means we take action to worship as he commands. It's two ways we take action, to worship as he commands. It means praying as he taught us to pray. Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. It means praying for insight and understanding. Paul, in Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 through 11, I pray that you may be filled with all knowledge and spirit and insight, that you may have wisdom and discernment to know and approve the word of God and, and live out by his power. It means we live as he shows us to live. Think about the, the Sermon on the Mount, the fruit of the Spirit. Think about Ephesians chapters 4 through 6 that all speak to how, how now do we live. It means we value what he values. And here's the reality, church family, is we live by the insight and understanding that comes from knowing him truly and walking with him rightly. As we take action to worship him as he commands, here's what's going to happen. It's going to mean increasingly more and more you're going to stand out like a sore thumb. It means increasingly more and more there are going to be things that maybe we could once do that we can no longer do. Maybe we can no longer do it because God has just brought further conviction in our life as we've grown with him. Maybe we can no longer do it because this world has drug it out to a place where now we would have to betray our conscience. Listen, I love, I love superhero movies, but there will be a point where I will not be able to see anymore based on what the world's putting in them. If you and I walk with the Lord, there will be things, it may be movies, TV, music, what we entertain. It may be the clothes we buy. It may be how we choose to spend our money. It may be things the culture says, it's okay to raise your kids this way, but we go, man, the insight and understanding that comes from his word, I can't do that. Understand, church family, if we live by the insight and understanding that comes with knowing him truly and walking with him rightly, we will look different. So the question is, are we okay with that? Or if we're honest, regardless of our age in this room, are we more driven by the opinion and praise of what others think and, and more driven by the desire to want to hide in the herd of a crowd than we are to embrace who God made us? Because church family, we were not made to fit in. We were remade to stand out. We're called saints, holy ones, ones set apart. But here's the deal. It doesn't only just mean acting to, to worship as he commands. There's a second part in this. It's not just about us. Did you see what it says? Those who have insight, look back with me. Those who have insight, verse 33, will give understanding to the many. And then you look in chapter 12, verse 3. Those who have insight will shine brightly. And then in parallel to it, meaning it's the same group of people, will lead many to righteousness, church family. If we live by the insight and understanding that comes with knowing God truly and walking with him rightly, it's going to give us courage, it's going to give us strength to stand firm where he stands. It's going to give us courage to act. Part of that acting deals with us worshiping him rightly, living lives that worship him. But part of that means we must be people who make disciples. If we really are walking and living by the insight and understanding that comes from walking with God rightly, it means, church family, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe the commands that I have taught you, and, and, and lo, I am with you always to the end of the age. It means when Jesus said, 
And the Holy Spirit will come upon you and give you power to go and be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Church family, those commands are binding on our lives. They're not optional. They're not just for the quote unquote missionaries. If you are a Christian, you are an ambassador according to God, an ambassador who is on a mission of reconciliation, to proclaim God's reconciliation, His gift of salvation to lost men and women. Church family, it's not just about us. We as a church, it's not just about, well, we're as a church are gonna stand firm and we're gonna worship God right, but we're never gonna talk to anybody else. False, we are not a country club. We are missionaries. And the call to make disciples is binding. And by the way, you go, that's just intimidating. I don't know how to share the gospel. Listen, if you know enough of the gospel to be saved, you know all of the gospel to tell someone else how to be saved. And if you go, well, I don't even know what the gospel is, well then please, when the invitation comes, run down front, I wanna talk to you. Because if you don't know enough of the gospel to share, do you really know enough of the gospel to be Saved, and I'm not trying to create doubt, but my point is we make it so complicated. It's not complicated, church family. God has sovereignly by his hand allowed you to live and move and breathe for such a time as this and has given you spheres of influence in your schools, on your sports teams, in the PTA meetings, at your work, in your neighborhood, to be ambassadors for the kingdom. It's not just about being able to not give in to all the twistings of the world. It's also about staying focused on the mission God has given us. When I was uh, an RA in college, they took us out one day um, to do a, a, a team building activity. They took us out, tied blindfolds on. I mean, you could see nothing. It was pitch black. We were all, in a, all we knew is we were in a line, and in our right hand, there was a rope. And we were told that the goal was to get to the end of the rope. And that along the way, there would be obstacles, so we needed to pay attention. We might have to go over, climb over something, go on all blindfolded, but, but, but the goal was to get to the end. And as we did it, I said, and, all, all, and once they explained to us the rules, they said, all, this is all I can tell you. You're almost there, raise your hand if you need help. Now, of course, you know, you've got a group of college students, so you've got some that take it serious, some that are goofing off, and ultimately the whole gimmick was to try to teach us it's okay to raise your hand and ask for help. We literally told you, you can't see the obstacles, we can, we want to help you, why are you not raising your hand? So the whole point was to raise your hand. I guess it was this hand, because this hand's on the rope. And when you rose your hand, here's what happened. Somebody came and grabbed you quietly and pulled your blindfold off. And you discovered that the rope was a giant circle. Because you couldn't see. You couldn't see where the end was. You couldn't see what the problems were. You, but someone else who could said, raise your hand. Now, that was the point. And of course, you know, you've got some people that start to figure out, raise the hand. And then you've got inevitably, you know, you've got a couple of, uh, of the guys who no, we're going to get to the end, and they're just crashing into everything and trying to get there, and they're, everybody's laughing and all of this. Now, the point was to teach us to raise our hand for help, but here's why I tell that to you. Most of us learned in that moment who had never done it to raise our hand and ask for help. The reason we weren't just indefinitely bumping into chaos of the darkness and acting a fool 
is because one of the oldest RAs who had done this before and had insight said, hey, raise your hand. It was because someone with insight had enough wisdom to follow that insight that they raised their hand and were rescued, but they also told us to raise our hands so we would be rescued, that we're not still all there wandering around in a circle with blindfolds bumping into stuff. Church family, we are in desperate need today to be a church of insight and understanding. Church family, we have no excuse to walk blindly. The eyes of the Lord search to and fro, raise your hand. Our God is sovereign. He reigns. And because He reigns, we can live in the midst of these days with an insight and understanding that pierces the darkness if we know Him truly and we walk with Him rightly. The question is, will we? Let's pray. Jesus, we look to You. We need you. Lord, in this world, we need you so we don't succumb to the smooth words of this world that would turn us against you, that would take us down paths of destruction where we'd believe half-truths that are full lies that profane your character and your, your desires for our lives. Lord, this world needs to see churches who shine with the light of your insight and understanding who stand with strength where you stand, no matter how hard the world blows, who with courage act to worship you in, in hearts full of love because you are worthy, and because you're worthy in that worship are willing to sacrifice whatever we must. But God, who don't just stop there, but, but, in, but in acting with courage, who, who seek to actively make disciples and tell the world that is wandering in brokenness and blindness, hey, there is an answer. There is a salvation. There is a hope. And I'm here to tell you about him. His name is Jesus. Holy Spirit, you know how you're moving in this place right now. You know how each one of us needs to respond. May we simply say yes to you. It's in your name I pray, Jesus. Amen.